With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to The Lob, your home of in-depth coverage and analysis by these football times, a movement of journalism you can trust. Each week, we endeavour to bring you the very best coverage of the game, exploring stories from the past and present with analysis by expert guests from around the world. Find more of our award-winning content online and in print. In the meantime, enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lob Podcast with These Football Times. My name is Stuart Horsfield and tonight we are dedicating a show to a topic that we've frequently discussed in our other shows. For 20 years now the concept of a European Super League has periodically risen. The idea that the elite of the European club game congregate to play each other on a weekly basis is one which makes the money men drool but the supporters less so. UEFA are certainly trying to protect the elite teams more and more, with 24 of this season's 32 Champions League group stage uh, competitors gaining automatic entry to the tournament. So the question we're discussing tonight, is a European Super League inevitable? Uh, and joining me tonight are three fine gentlemen, um, who I'm sure will no doubt um, have strong opinions on this subject. Uh, first up, Mr Stephen Scrag. Stephen, how are you? Very well, Stu. How are we doing? Yep. Excellent, thank you. Looking forward, to, like I say, it, we sort of discuss this quite often on different shows. It somehow seems yeah, to creep it, into different it does. It, topics. It tends to drift in, yeah, like like a, like a like a ghost in the room almost. <laughs> pops, um, pops up, yeah, on, on, a, on, a, on a near near episode basis. It does. I think I think it's ready for a show all of its own. Yes. Um, next up, uh, Mr. Gary Thacker. Gary, how are you, sir? I'm good, buddy. Nice to speak to you again. Excellent, excellent. And then finally, um, a big welcome back. I'm pleased to say to uh, Mr. Ewan McTeer. Ewan, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Stu. Uh, ready to express all my strong opinions, <laughs> my strong after-the-watershed opinions. So, excellent. yeah, let's get into it. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what we're after. That, that's what we want. A little, bit of, a little bit of controversy and some, and some strong opinions. Um, right, so tonight, fellas, uh, first question... I'm going to ask it to all three of you, okay? So I'll ask it once and you, you can share it around. Uh, Gary, I'm going to throw it open to you first because you usually seem to end up last with the question. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw it open <laughs> to you. So first question for you, a nice little light one to start off. Uh, potential European Super League, long been rumoured. Uh, once again, it's been started to be played down again. But I suppose the question I'm going to ask you is, is the European Super League inevitable? I guess the first... Uh task with that to answer that question is to define what we mean by European Super League. A lot of people would say that the Champions League is already European Super League. Um, there was obviously this uh, recent um, leak publicity, well, I'm not sure how you define it, that said there were uh, 16 clubs who had been sort of been considering launching their own Super League and um, with without relegation for a fixed term of 10 or 20 years, 20 years I think it was, um, 
but whether those sort of things, these sort of things bubble up from time to time, and quite often they're um, they're just a cover to uh, increase the power in negotiation with with uh, UEFA about uh, financial rewards from games and such things. Now, whether that's that's what this is particularly, I'm not sure. But I guess it's a question of will there never to be be a European Super League? Not necessarily that one. And I think in the longer term, or perhaps the medium term, I think it probably is inevitable because football's no longer um, the sport that I grew up with. It's uh, it's a financial thing, and uh, certainly in England, three of the three of the top six clubs are owned by American um, companies who also own U.S. sporting franchises and uh, baseball or American football or basketball, where they have that sort of same situation, where it is a fixed situation. Nobody gets relegated. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably is inevitable. Um, you know what I mean. Uh, you know, Gary's made a great point there. I suppose def- the definition mm-hmm. of what the European Super League is or would be, and, and like Gary said about the Champions League, I suppose that that has to be taken into account a little bit. But but for you, do you see a, an inevitability about a, a European Super League? Uh, yes, and I, I really agree with what Gary's saying there. It's, it's maybe just a matter of uh, how it's going to be set up, what it's going to be called. Is it going to be called the Europe? European Super League because I think I'm 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 quite against it as we'll get on to for for reason various reasons in the podcast. But one of the things I'm most against is the name Super League. It's like anything that you put super on probably isn't super. It's almost overcompensating. It's like <laughs> uh, all, all these countries that have democratic in the name. Not, it's because they're not very democratic. You know, if you have to put super on something. It's not going to be that super. Look at the, the the super cups, the Spanish super cup, the UEFA super cup, uh, even the super classical. You know, uh, these <laughs> there's no need to put super on it. So one of my biggest issues would be the name. But that is, uh, I'm getting at a more serious point as well. Here is we don't know how it's going to be called. We don't quite know how it's going to be structured. How it's going to be made up. Is it even going to be exclusively European, or might we even reach a point where you have a sort of world super league where you have some of the biggest teams? Um, from Argentina or Brazil also involved in this. Um, that These are the questions that uh, are all up in the air. Nobody has an answer to them just now. But to answer your original question of is it inevitable, I think it probably is. Um, Stephen, I mean, you know, again, so, you know, so far I've had, you know, I've had two great points. You know, I'm going to ask you, you know, the same question about this, this inevitability, but certainly, you know, Gary and Ewan have, have sort of brought more to the, to the, to the question, if you like. They probably asked more questions or come up with more points for discussion than probably the original question ever will. Um, but, but to begin with, you know, do, do you think it's inevitable? Oh, without doubt, without doubt. And you won't have to look at what they're doing with the Champions League now. I mean, 24 or 32 you know, were, were, were drafted directly into the tournament this season, the biggest number yet, which diminished the number of, of so-called smaller teams from the, the lesser leagues to be able to, to to have the chance to work their way through the, the preliminaries and the qualifiers to reach the, the group stages. Um, so, yeah, the the door is, is slowly being closed bit by bit. And, uh, and as Gary alluded to earlier on, it is just a case of, you know... How that European Super League is packaged, uh, what knock-on effects it has towards domestic leagues. You know, can it be can there be a, a Super League run in conjunction with domestic leagues, or would it be a complete breakaway, and you know the elite teams would just play on their own plateau above above cloud level, leaving everyone else down below. Um, but yeah, inevitable, certainly. Okay, so well, that, that's that side then. So we can almost call it a night now if we want, and that, that's that done and put to bed. Um, so, 
you know, we, we mentioned in the introduction, and obviously you've just mentioned it again there, Stephen. Um, but you know, you and we've, you know, Stephen mentioned about this twenty-four of the thirty-two teams. You know, mm. we're sort of automatic entry. I mean, we, we've talked about the the Champions League before as a way of almost protecting the the larger clubs. And do you see this this sort of idea of a, a Super League, for want of a better word? And I know what you're saying about about the name of it, etc. But you know, do you see it as almost UEFA protecting their prime assets? I suppose in the, in the European game. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's it's a, it's a good point that, that Stevens just made there about. Um, would uh, a European Super League mean that the best teams in each country only solely participate in this and leave the leagues behind? Because I think that's the thing that um, for for people who like things to be quite well organised and structured, that's the thing that maybe uh, is is the most concerning. Because then winning your domestic league wouldn't mean the same if you took, for example, the top six out of the Premier League and all of a sudden Everton win the league. They haven't really proclaimed themselves champions of England, you know. So I think that's a good point Stephen made there. That's a thing that we really need to, uh, that would need to be decided. But if we do have a case where there's a, a, a European Super League and the the teams can continue in their domestic league but they also have this Super League competition, well, that basically is the Champions League, which I think is something we're getting on at here. And maybe if UEFA can sort of um, guide the, the biggest clubs, take their hand and sort of walk them in to the idea of a European Super League that they want, but have it under UEFA control and have UEFA as sort of the responsible adult in the room, making sure that it doesn't completely shake up the world of football, then this could be this could be slightly better and it would probably resemble sort of what we're seeing with the Champions League, as we've just mentioned, 24 of 32 teams are already in. Um, it's, it's not going to be too long before the Champions League basically just becomes the Super League that we're talking about and maybe there's more of a format change than just allowing certain teams to skip the qualifiers. Maybe they do make it into more of a an actual league. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested to see how involved UEFA is because UEFA, um, as much as they might be criticised along with FIFA, um, they're there to protect the interests of the fans in a way that clubs have no real obligation to do so. Um, so yeah, I think we should all be sort of back in UEFA in any negotiations they have with the big clubs wanting to move to this Super League idea. Um, it's an interesting point, you know, like you say, this cocooning, this protection of teams. You know, Stephen, we talk about this a lot as well, you know, we're of the same generation, we remember the game at the same time we were a child. And, you know, we, we look back fondly on on teams who, who made a name or who we learned through via the, you know, the European Cup. Um, I mean, those days are, are, are almost gone now, aren't they, whereby you have unknown teams or teams from a bygone romantic era if you like you know Gary mentioned that football is big business now and money etc and, and I appreciate all of that but certainly something like this I think would permanently eradicate the chances of a Sanatier and a Borussia Mönchengladbach almost coming to the the forefront of European football again yeah there's there's, there's no real way back for that type of occurrence the only way you're going to get something like that is if you know, a, a British Munch and Gladbach or a Saint-Étienne a, a bankrolled in, in a way that PSG have been. Um, it's the only way you're going to see a name like that reappear at the top end of the game. You know, it's, it's that detached now from the rest. But for me, it's it's a way... I mean, I wrote an article about it on these football times not so long ago, ago about how, you know, European Super League could feasibly, if run in conjunction with domestic leagues, maybe bring... A, 
a level of playing field domestically almost because if you're asking the elite clubs to play more games in Europe, then there would be hopefully uh, you know a toll, a physical toll in a way that might level the playing field domestically. So you know for, for, for a hypothetical European Super League, in, in my view, if you look at something like the South American qualifiers for the World Cup where all 10 teams play each other twice, so they play an 18 team campaign. You know, if you had something like that, a 10 or an 18, a 10 or a 12 team European Super League where they play a, an 18 or a 20 game, 22 game campaign and then add that to a, you know, a smaller domestic league. I mean, if the Premier League was brought down to a 16 or an 18 team league running conjunction with an 18 game Super League, then you wouldn't be playing all that many more games across the board that you are now. But if you're you know, a Liverpool or a Manchester United or whoever that is in this country being asked to go and play, you know, Milan on a, on a Wednesday night and then come back and play at, at, you know, QPR, Fulham, wherever on a Saturday, then you've got to be stretched. You've got to find those those teams stretched that bit more. And, uh, and that was my point of view was that, you know, there could possibly be a way of it, it working and bringing almost a an accidental benefit to the domestic games, but that's a fine, fine line for them to walk and a fine line for them to get it right. And within that, that's where you might find a team like Bruce Munch and Gladbach, uh, you know, or a Santatien being able to get closer domestically. I mean, we'll speak about it in a bit, but those four main leagues in Europe are such a closed shop that something has to change. It's, I mean, Gary, it's, I suppose, you know, this is for you. I mean, you know, we're looking at, you know, like, like Stephen said, if, you know, if you have this, I mean, we don't know how it's going to work, but if you have this dual competition, this massive stretch on resources, can you see, you know, essentially the better, you know, the better players, if you like, are surely all going to start to congregate around this, whatever it is, 18, 20 team Super League, you know, the, the, there's going to be such a concentration of talent, even more so now, at the, at the very, very point of, of European club football. Um, yeah, I think that's inevitable. But I think the, the, the major issue with this, um, anything like the format that's been put forward with 16 clubs is we're talking 30 fixtures, 33-0 fixtures. Now, I want to assume that they're going to ditch, ditch the Champions League because you can't play that and the Champions League. So oh, I yeah, imagine they're going to yeah, ditch the and, Champions League. Yeah. However, however, I think the major problem that some of the clubs, and we're talking the, the uh, 12 I say permanent members, or they've been given immunity from promotion for uh, 20 years. Are Barca, Real Madrid, uh, Man United, Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, um, uh, Bayern, Juve, Milan, PSG. Now, all of those clubs are used to winning things. They become popular. They become wealthy because they win things. Now, if we're going to add a 30 fixture tournament to a domestic season in England for example teams are going to ditch, want to ditch the FA Cup or the League Cup to compete in this. The problem is of those 12 clubs and the other clubs that are going to be the invited guests you know, it's a strange scenario but the invited guests, only one can win only one can win it now, if, if clubs like, like like Chelsea, for example, who are not going to win the league, Arsenal who are not going to win, well, I don't think they're going to win the league because City are going to walk in or Liverpool are going to let City fall over. Um, 
the only chance they've got of, of winning a pot this year is probably going to be the FA Cup or the League Cup. Now, if you're going to you're going to ditch those competitions to go and compete and chasing the chasing the dollar in the European Super League and end up with big fat nothing, some of those clubs are going to finish regularly in seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, even lower position in that Super League, and their um, celebration, their uh, their 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 repute will become tarnished very, very quickly. And I just wonder if clubs have actually thought this through properly because they're going to have to ditch the chance of winning trophies. And the, as you say, uh, Stu, the, um, the more successful clubs, and, you know, I guess we're talking this might be, you know, Real Madrid, of those dozen clubs, Real Madrid, perhaps PSG, perhaps City, will be attracting more and more players. And the teams that are less likely to win it, perhaps Milan, perhaps Chelsea, perhaps Arsenal will be losing players to these clubs. And the, that sort of... Um, you'll get that unvirtuous cycle of uh, the, the the more successful will become more successful and the less successful will become even less successful. And they won't be able to win these trophies that they've ditched in their domestic leagues. I, so I just wonder, strategically, how that can work. And, and like I say, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're the sort of four guys sat, sat around chatting, trying to put European football to rights. And we are doing a really good job, to be fair. Well, you three are doing a really good job, to be fair. I, I just ask the questions. But, but the, the, it seems, there seems to be so much to think about, so much in the way, so much to take into consideration. And, and we, I suppose, we're looking at it from a, a domestic point of view, you know, from a Premier League, from an English football point of view. But, I mean, this, you know, this is being replicated in, you know, across Europe, but, you know, I suppose in the top four, four or five European leagues. It, it just seems like it's too big, almost, to, to actually work. I mean, you and, you know, the idea is obviously there, you know, we've discussed the idea, but... Do you think the feasibility of it? Do you think it could ever be negotiated, or, or do you think that UEFA, I suppose, Ivy, or the clubs, where does the the strength lie, if you like, in terms of demand for this? Is it with those major clubs that that Gary's mentioned, the PSGs, the Man Cities, and the Real Madrids, or or does the drive come from UEFA, who are maybe looking at it as a way of sort of securing the the presence of these clubs in their tournaments? Yeah, I think it's in UEFA's interest maybe to, uh, to yeah, once again reformat the Champions League, and in that case you would then call them the the driving force, um, because then they can sort of keep uh, the status quo, keep things as it is. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's going to come from from the clubs. It's not going to come from from fans. I don't even think it's going to come from sponsors. It's it's the clubs themselves. I think which have, um, they're the the keenest to make this happen. Um, in terms of the feasibility of it, I think some of those points are are, are, are really valid. Teams are, are going to get a little bit restless with not winning anything. I mean, you can look at um, some of the, the major leagues in uh, in the United States and North America because they're probably similar size, you know. I mean, uh, you've got the United States with a couple of teams in Canada and in some of those leagues, and that's about a similar sized um, landmass as as what we're talking about in Europe, and you're going to have maybe uh, similar size uh, leagues, or maybe um, a smaller European Super League than the NFL, which is like 32 teams. But you look at them, and and there are some some teams there that that haven't won anything in a long time. I think uh, the the San Francisco 49ers and Dallas Cowboys, they they're still two of the biggest sports franchises in the whole world, but none of them have won. 
a Super Bowl in the in the 21st century. So you've got these two teams, these fan bases that aren't winning anything, and they put up with it because this is all they've ever known. When you take some of these teams that are used to winning Liga every year or winning Serie A every year and put them in a European Super League, I think it's a, a really good point. How long will the fans tolerate not having picked up a single trophy in, in a decade? How long will the owners tolerate not having picked up anything? And how long will the players tolerate it as well? You know, a lot of these players want to win medals, to win trophies. Um, they, they'll all realise that the prestige of actually winning a, a European Super League would be greater than an FA Cup or a League Cup or whatever. But if they're not winning anything at all during their career, some of the players are going to get a bit frustrated with this as well. So, uh, And the players is one of the aspects, I think, that gets talked the least about this. It's just assumed that this is in their interest because there would be more money and, I guess, more wages. Um, I don't know how many of the players would actually be uh, keen for this all this travel around Europe with less chance of winning the trophy. <laughs> I mean, it's a great point, isn't it? I mean, you know, if we have it, what, 16, 18, 20 teams, you know, still only one team can ever win it. You're only going to have one squad that will win it. And, you know, like you say, you, you hope that, that players are in the game to win to win medals and win trophies. Um, Stephen, obviously FIFA have their World Club Cup and they're obviously looking at reforming that and into a new guys. I mean, and I think it was you and who mentioned earlier about maybe, you know, we look at this European Super League and you look at bringing, you know, the top clubs over from Argentina and Brazil. But before that, you know, I mean, how do you see this impacting on FIFA's um, sort of World Club Cup competition, which to me, from my point of view, never, never seems to catch the imagination. It never seems to have quite taken off and I suppose to be fair that might come back to Ewan's point of depending on what you name it and what you call it um, doesn't necessarily just because it's the world club cup doesn't necessarily mean they're the best side in the world <laughs> but you know Stephen how do you see it impacting on, on their competition oh, I, I mean the, the, the world club cup it, it's never been taken massively seriously from a, from a UK perspective um, I, know, I know in Italy it's, it's quite you know uh, it's, it's a, a much valued Tournament, and it's much more of a South American uh, thing, you know. To be to be crowned world champions means the world to them. And um, in, in Spain, in Spain, it fluctuates. If if uh, if Real Madrid win it, then all the Barcelona media say it's it's a mediocre tournament that means nothing. Yeah, means and when nothing. Barcelona win it, all the it's, Madrid it, media say it's a mediocre tournament that means nothing. It, so in Spain, it, there's. Yeah. It's very much split based on who's in it's it, in, but you're in, right. It's yeah, it's, it's not taken too seriously. No, it's in the bat there, the beholder, isn't it? it it's yeah. I know, I know from from a Liverpool sporting point of view, it's always been seen as one of those trinket type of trophies to win. It's you know, it's up there with a charity shield or a European Super Cup. You know, it, the compliment wasn't winning it; it was being involved in it because you'd done something of substance to be there. Um, you know, you were never going to cash in a league championship or a European Cup to to win. You know, a World Club Cup or a, a European Super Cup, and I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what FIFA come up with with this expanded World Club Cup, and you know, if if there's you know great interest in it, then I think UEFA will find the hand forced in coming up with a European Super League of some description. Now, the interesting thing about European Super League, a lot of the the talk about it so far has been. Not so much of it being under the umbrella of UEFA, and and this kind of like has a 
again, it's it's history repeating itself because prior to the the, the birth of the Premier League, you throughout the 1980s there was you know advanced talk about um, an English Super League, you know, breaking away from the Football League that the the big five, as they were then, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Spurs and Everton were going to break away and form their own league. There was resentment at the fact that they were the biggest selling point of a 92-team football league, but the smallest clubs basically rode on the coattails. Um, it was Greg Dyke, interestingly, who eventually you know, headed the FA, but at the time was... You know, in charge of, I think it was London Weekend Television, and and he was the man behind the talks, and he stirred the pot to try and say, well, look, you know, you come and we'll form our own league, we'll play the games live on ITV, we'll invite only the biggest and the best and the most iconic clubs to join the Big Five, and um, and it, again, like 30 years later, it, it's it's the same story, but on a on a pan European scale. Um, and at the time, in the 1980s, the FA backed away from the story of a, an English Super League. They, they, you know, they, they didn't claim any responsibility or any any responsibility for it, basically. And again, the silence from UEFA is quite deafening on a on a European Super League. And it it is a case of history repeating itself. They they're sitting back and watching what unfolds. And what will unfold will be, you know, a lot of conjecture for about 10 years. And then eventually UEFA will step in and say, look, this is what we'll do. There won't be an appetite for the clubs to, to float a league on their own, on their own back, independently of UEFA. You know, they will want UEFA to, to be in there and do it. And, and UEFA will essentially have their hand forced if FIFA push on with a, uh, you know, a World Club Cup that threatens the Champions League it I mean again you know everything you say you know these are you know these are all great points and you know we have an hour tonight you know this is something that could have a series by itself or you know multiple you know multiple shows or you know could go on for a lot longer but I mean there seems to be so many like I said before so many strands that need tying up so many strands that need considering um you know Gary for you it was mentioned earlier about um Sort of the big leagues being almost closed shops. You know, we look at Juve, you know, dominating Serie A again, looking towards an eighth eighth title by Munich. You know, Manchester City, PSG. You know, we've done a you know we did a Premier League preview, we've done a Serie A preview, a La Liga preview. You know, we've sort of said how you can almost nail the colours to the to the mast almost. You know, in the big leagues. I mean, I suppose. Now we're you know we're up to a point where either something has to give in terms of I think Steve mentioned about having competition back in the domestic, the domestic leagues or you know is there a danger that actually domestic leagues are actually dying or being suffocated because of dominance by by certain clubs? Um, yeah, well we just we have discussed this a couple of times as you mentioned, and Steve's got a phrase that he uses quite often, and you know it's 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 true that you know football moves in cycles. But the thing with cycles is the wheel always turns. Now, I'm, on, I'm old enough to remember, um, okay, Manchester United were the dominant team for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. You know, Chelsea put it up against them, beat, so did Arsenal. And they still look, un look unbeatable. Going back to Steve's time with Liverpool, Liverpool looked unbeatable. Before that, you had, you had other dominant teams. Um, the Juventus domination in uh, Italy is relatively new. 
the PSG domination in France is massively new. There's one thing for certain in football, and that's nothing is certain. <laughs> nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. The wheel always turns. I mean, I remember when, you know, when Roman Abramovich bought, bought Chelsea and everybody said, you know, this is the end of football in this country now. You know, a, big, a, a bigger kid's turned up with a bigger stick in the playground. But there's always a faster guard walking to town with something. Something else happens, the wheel always turns. And, and something will happen. And Man City will not be the top team in, in, in England forever. If they're, if they're the top team in England for 10 years, that would be amazingly unusual. Amazingly unusual. Because things like that in, in, uh, in, in football don't really happen. Um, and Spain, and you and all that, I'm sure you'll sort of bear me out, Spain is the exception with Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, certainly over the last 20 years or so and it's, un it's unusual if Barcelona or Real Madrid don't win the league but nothing's forever and things will change and the teams that are at the top now will not be the teams at the top in 10 years time it doesn't happen like that so the league, domestic leagues um, will sort of change now whether that will be um, enough to generate more interest and keep the uh, the financial, the, the cash registers rolling sufficiently for other clubs is a different question. And just going back to the um, the World Club Cup that we sort of touched on earlier, a revamp of the World Club Cup will not change anything. It's easier to win the World Club Cup if you're a South American or a European side than it is to win your domestic league. Simple as. Because the competition, other than the South American, no other, no other club other than a South American or a European club has ever won that. And in the foreseeable future, that's not going to change. 20 years' time, perhaps, and African football's coming on massively, so is Asian football, but, but not, not in the short term. So the only way um, FIFA can put more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, more poke into their competition is by making it more competitive. Now, we've said about, and Steve made a good point, I was going to, I was going to mention this myself, but he's sort of preempting me, about the FA um, becoming the, the body that looked after the breakaway league in in England, breaking from the Football League. Is it not impossible that uh, the, uh, FIFA could be the organisation that runs any European Super League? And perhaps with a South American change of their competition as well. And then you have the World Club Championship played between four European, four South American and uh, four Asian or, or African teams as well in there as well. That would make their competition realistic because if you win the European Cup or the South American um, Championship you are going to win one of those teams will be the World Club Champions and it doesn't really make sense uh, Alright St uh, I'll, I'll throw that back one back to you then Stephen that, that's a great question um, you can have that one Stephen for free um, you know I mean you know, Gary's made a great point you know what, what do you think uh, I think I just don't see a World Club Cup taking off in any way, shape or form. I think, you know, that, that concept of football still being on relatively on your doorstep. Um, I think with a European Super League, you can still point to, a you know, an EasyJet map and say, right, you know, all, the, all these big European cities aren't all that far away. It's two or three hours to get to them. Um, I think once you introduce a, a World a World Super League or a World Club Cup, then, you know, if you're adding Corinthians and, and Boca Juniors and everyone else to it, then I don't know, the only way I see something like that happening is, is you know, a, a playoff congregation at the end. So you, are, you would have regional regional parts of it and then 
with the winners of each some part coming towards it you know, together at the end. But then that's what you've got with a World Club Cup anyway. So I just don't see a feasible way of, of making a World Club Cup float. Um, but going back to Gary's, Gary's uh, suggestions about domestic leagues, you know, reinventing themselves and new winners coming along, you know, yeah, they do, and a new a new team will come across here and there. But the wheel turns, but it turns much slower than it ever has in football, and that's why you're getting Juventus, you know, already looking like they've they've nailed an eighth successive Serie A title. You know, it's why you know only one team other than Barcelona or Real Madrid have won La Liga since Rafa Benitez left Valencia nearly 15 years ago. You know, PSG, uh, uh, it will be an unusual for any point for the next decade or so for PSG not to win their title. You know, in a way, the Premier League has become the most varied in recent times. But that's ta- even then, that's taken, you know, a once-in-a-generation type of win of Leicester City's. And, you know, beyond that, the, the last few titles have basically been the most moneyed teams in, in the sake of Manchester City and, and Chelsea. You know, we're looking at Manchester United now. By the end of the season, it'll be, what, six years since they last won a title? They're not going to win it this year, so it'll be seven at the very you know, shortest that they could possibly do it. It's a hell of a stretch, that now. Arsenal, <laughs> that's two a, that's oh, a Liverpool fan saying that. That's a Liverpool fan <laughs> saying, yes, great. <laughs> there you go. It is going to be at least seven years, seven-year gap for Manchester United winning the title. Think of that. You know, if someone had said that just a few short years yeah. ago, yeah. you'd have... But is that not... Is that not an example of the wheel turning of, um, you know, Manchester City, for example, is, you yeah. know, um, relatively new thing as well? It, you know? it is a relatively new thing, but you know, 10 years under that ownership now. I mean, in a way, yeah. I'll ask the same that Manchester City and Chelsea kind of like under underperform in, 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 mm-hmm. you know, in, in realms of success, given the advantages that they've got. You know, but then Chelsea, that almost proves, yeah. that almost proves yeah. how, how teams can come in and win because. I agree, PSG, I would put my money on PSG every year for the next century or whatever, but we have to remember Monaco won the league two years ago um, in France, and you know, in Spain Atletico came and won it in 2014 they it did. looks like Borussia Dortmund could do this year That's so there right. are there, 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 yeah, are. there, are, there are you know, again, but the there's still at the minute exceptions, you know I, I, yeah. still, see, I still want to see that as a trend rather than yeah. You know, I think the, the problem is—that's that, where I'm coming from because yeah. you know, Dortmund are looking good at the minute, but you know it's on the back of six successive title wins. For, for I don't think there's anything healthy about one team, and I, I'm going to say that as a Liverpool fan, you know, who dominated for such a long time, but at the same time, in that period of domination, Liverpool always had, you know, a perceived challenger running alongside them. We ran away with very few of those. Those titles. There were, there, were, there were instances where we won it by by March, April, but we always had a challenger. So you know there was there was a great lead side of Don Revy. There was Brian Clough's Derby County, Bertie Mee's Arsenal, you know Spurs under under Bill Nicholson. There was you know the Aston Villas and the Nottingham Forests, and and then Everton came along and George Graham's Arsenal. So there was always a challenger there, and then you still had Manchester United trying to cap, crack the code, and and you know so. When Liverpool did that, it was under on a, on a much leveler playing field. You know, yeah. it has to be. You know, for, for in the Premier League, it has to be. You know, a superhuman feat to defeat Manchester City at the minute. 
you know, just, 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 just if I can, that uh, I think one of the things we, which we're talking about here is that you know these these money money comes into the football now, and, it, and it, we say oh we can't see anything happening. Well, we never saw Man City being bought out for that much money. We never saw that coming two or three months before it happened. We never saw Roman Abramovich buying Chelsea two or three months before it happened. We never saw, nobody assumed when Alex Ferguson took over Manchester United, he was going to turn into the dominant force that he, he, that he was. We never saw that happening. When Arsene Wenger went to Arsenal, he'd just come from the Japanese league. Nobody expected him to have the sort of success he had. This is what I'm saying, that it's, it's, we only say these things are normal now because they've become normal. We didn't see any of those things happening. PSG, nobody expected that to happen. Six months before PSG were, had all their money, nobody was going to say, in, in the next, they're going to win the league seven out of the last eight years, next, seven out of the next nine, uh, eight or nine years. Nobody saw that happening. It's true about Bayern, and Bayern domination, domination in Germany is, is different, and I think with Barca and Real Madrid in Spain, it's different. But certainly with, in, in, in England, with the money coming into, the, into Manchester City when that happened in with Chelsea and with... Um, and I, I go back to, to Bill Shankly. When Bill Shankly took over at Liverpool, nobody expected Bill Shankly to have the success and take a second division Liverpool into a position where Bob Paisley could take them on to become the dominant force in Europe. Nobody saw that happening either. You only see these things happening when they've happened. There's an old, there's an old, sort of, there's an old Chinese saying that you never notice change when you're going through it. It's only when you look back. Yeah, I, I, I fully, fully agree with a lot of that, but I think it's a completely different landscape now, you know, and for, and for things like that to happen now would be, you know, and Arsene Wenger now walking into Arsenal would be so hard pushed to do what he did between 1996 and 2004 to doing it now, because, I mean, you're looking at kind of like, like I'll, I'll use Jurgen Klopp as, a, as, a, as an instance, 15 games now into the new season. You know, one twelve drawn three. Yet that is still not enough to have like a, a seven or eight point lead at the top of the table, which you know Bruce. it would have done. You know, Bruce. kind of like twenty years ago. Bruce. It's a, it really is a massively different landscape now to what it was. You know, we aren't no, going to get no arguments, Steve. Absolutely no arguments. second division and win the title like Forest did, and, and you know, go on to win European cups. It's such, you know, this is, and this is part of kind of like why the domestic game feels like it's strangulated in a way. And, and this season, almost like a breath of fresh air in the fact that Dortmund, a challenger and, and Bayern have, have kind of like face planted for, for once, you know, and, and, and it does, it, it, was, it was such a relief when Atletico Madrid won La Liga. It yeah. was great what Leicester did, but that that isn't a trend. What Leicester did, that is oh. just that is that is just one of the most perfect anomalies. I absolutely ever. agree. And, and, and one day, and, and, one day, yeah. the money will go from Manchester City. It will happen. Oh, it will. But one you know, day, the money will go from PSG. That will happen. It, it might, well, but it, but it might. It not. will. It will exactly. happen. But, but even then, there is going to be you know a replacement for that at some point. Of course. Yeah, of course. There's always dominant but, team. But, you know, that's that's the thing. That's not romance, though. That's that's you know a no, different different podcast completely. Dave, <laughs> but, I'm not saying I'm, just, I'm not saying you know, it's nice. I'm just saying it's, it's true. Yeah, it, it is. But it, it's going to be money that that changes that. I not, agree. You know, I agree. Um, just while we're, while we're talking about dominance, and it, it feels like it's a war between the philosopher and the scouser, but <laughs> <laughs> you and. Um, <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but you know, you and I mean, obviously, you know, your your knowledge of Spanish football. I mean, I'm interested because obviously, you know, the two lads have just chatted there about dominance. You know, certainly yeah. within English football and French football. You know, and they've touched on this Barca and Madrid. I suppose two questions for you. One, you know, what is the the Spanish perception of this this two club dominance, and you know, how is the the prospect of a of a European Super League? How is that? sort of being taken, you know, within Spain? Yeah, well, the Spanish perception, there's been quite a lot of talk about it this year because it has been so competitive, um, partly because they've redistributed the TV money a couple of years ago. Um, so you've had, uh, last weekend, Sevilla were top, um, you've had Real Madrid top as well this season, Barca are top just now, Atletico Madrid are, have been in the mix all year. So it's been a very competitive season so far. You've got teams like Alaves and Espanyol right up there. So... There's been a lot of think pieces written about in Spain, and and one of the the headlines that's often used is is sort of goodbye to the Scottish league, um, <laughs> and there's this there's this perception in Spain of oh we like in Spain it was Barça and Madrid and that was it it was like the Scottish league it was so boring, um, and I don't think people in Spain maybe quite realised that Rangers went down to the fourth division and had to come all the way back up because when when I first moved to Spain it, it was in 2012 which was when Rangers had first went down and. And, and people would, people would say that, oh yeah, you're from Scotland, yeah, how bad is it having a league of a two-horse race every year? And I said, well, this year we've only got a one-horse race, so <laughs> be careful, be careful what you wish for, because um, in Spain, I mean, Barcelona have, have have done really well in the last decade, especially in the league. But every year it's been close, um, and every year, I mean, not every year, but in the last decade, I'd say maybe eight out of the last ten years. We've had a title race in Spain. Someone's won it. It's usually been Barcelona, but we've had a title race. So the competitive argument in Spain isn't maybe what it is in Germany or 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 it's, Italy. It's a, it's a different slant on it, isn't it? I mean, but yeah. I mean, I, I can I, I mean I still you know want to see Depot. You know that that was the great thing for for Spanish football when when English players, British players started going abroad, especially to Spain and, and Italy. The goals would tip up on football focus on a Saturday or on the ball, the, mm-hmm. the precursor to Saint and Greavesy, and and you would see the game, the, you know, the goals from from these leagues, and and the winners of these leagues were, you know, such an eclectic mix, you know. So for for La Liga yeah. to have had that rise, the Basque rise in the early 80s, where Real Sociedad won back-to-back titles and mm-hmm. Athletic Bilbao, then yeah, you had that brilliant five in a row Real Madrid side, but then you had kind of like the, the dream team of Cruyff. Then you had the double of, of Atletico Madrid, the rise of Depor, you know, and then Valencia. So it was just such an eclectic mix, and you felt that anything could happen. Yeah. And Italian football was exactly the same at that period. You had, and it's not—it's not, it's not the case anymore. But I think, no, I think the problem we have but is it's a different is, competitiveness. You know, yeah, yeah, there's a title race and there's an interest to it to the last minute. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, it's the same two contenders for them. But what I think we do have across Europe is every year, I think, in one of the big European leagues, there's an underdog story. You look back over the past maybe five, six, seven years, and and you'll you'll have one year Monaco winning the French League, one year Borussia Dortmund winning the German League, Leicester in, in England, uh, Atletico Madrid in Spain. The problem is that in each individual year, there's maybe only one league where that's happening, whereas in the past all of the major European leagues were very competitive. So there's not a complete shortage of underdog stories, competitive leagues, 
The problem is, each year you have to look to a different league to find it. Yeah. So you, yeah. really, you might as well just not watch European football until about Christmas, then decide yeah, which league assess, is competitive. Yeah. And then... To, to assess the league tables and, and say and that... And then pick the one that's, that's, oh, that's competitive. Because I started this season thinking, oh, really, really up for watching the Serie A, you know. Yeah, and it's just already over. It's completely over. It's, it's, one it's, final it's, thing I would maybe say while we're talking about um, the competitiveness of leagues and how money is is just sort of uh, distorting the the competitive balances. What really struck me a few weeks ago was the, the news coming out of the, the Eredivisie in, in Holland where the Dutch Champions League clubs are going to start sharing some of that money with the clubs that don't get into Europe. So all the Champions League teams from Holland that get into the group stages are now going to uh, take 5% of that group stage money and split it with the rest of the league, with the teams that maybe just got promoted or finished mid-table. And that's a great model. I can't really see it happening in any of the other leagues. But if that was stipulated by UEFA, if that was something that was brought in, that would be so, so massive because there's so much money now in the Champions League that the teams that get in get richer and the next year it's, they're the ones that are most likely to get in. And that's an especially yeah. big problem, I think, in these sort of smaller leagues, medium-sized leagues, like Holland, like Scotland, uh, like Serbia, like all these kind of uh, smaller uh, leagues where there maybe are two or three teams that could win the league in one year yeah. but as soon as someone gets in the Champions League they get the money and they're going to win it the next year so that really struck me as something that could be a model for going forward but I really doubt that um, it would be applied in, in most leagues this was a thing that the Dutch clubs wanted to do themselves because in Holland they're just so far ahead they're, they're amazing over there yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's incredible um I love the Dutch. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously it was announced, Gary, that, you know, the the Europa League 2, you know, UEFA are, are proposing it. And again, it's something we've touched on and talked about. You know, is there, is there room, is there a hunger for a third European um, cup competition? Um, you know, at the moment, I think it's Europa League 2, which, all right, I'm not, I think I have a better title, but that's all right. You know, I mean... and. You know, it's you all know. about the name. It's all about the name. You were right. You were the same. You need a good Europa name if you're going to sell it. Super Europa League. Some Super League anything, too. Yeah. If, if anything didn't need a sequel, it was the yeah. Europa League. Yeah. Someone's yeah. been paid a fortune to come up with that as well from market. That, that's where I need <laughs> yes. to be working. Um, that's you know, where I used to work, mate. Yeah. So you know, I mean, Gary, it's, I suppose we're, we're torn here, aren't we? I suppose between creating either a, a third European competition for you know, the clubs that we've talked about who maybe start to get cut adrift, you know, we're looking at maybe the Everton's, um, I suppose, looking at this season, Bournemouth, Watford, Arsenal, pretend, you know, depend, that, that sort of 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, you know, I mean, you know, is there is there a hunger for a, a third competition rather than a, a premier all-consuming European sort of Super League to, to go back to it and tiles yeah. again. You know, is that is that potentially a, a better route? I'd, I'll be truthful still. I, I struggle with the concept of this Europa League 2 or, or whatever you want to Good, call it. because I um, do too. <laughs> whereby you get... So, I mean, a lot of clubs, uh, well, certainly English clubs, um, look down on, on Europa League 1, as I suppose it will be called eventually, um, and just as it been a bit of a nuisance unless you win it and get qualify for the Champions League. Now, I, I mean, I can't see. I mean, I, so assuming they leave the qualification for the Champions League and Europa League as is, then you might be talking the teams that finish in the Premier League in 
seventh to tenth. I don't know how that would work, but something like that, and similar in the other leagues. Now, I can't see much TV revenue, and no disrespect to Bournemouth, no disrespect to Bournemouth, I can't see much TV revenue being generated by Bournemouth playing Gornick Zabra or <laughs> Lech Parsnan playing, I don't see how it works. I don't see what the because as I said before, you know, um, football is still about money now, and these clubs will will are trying to chase brass, and you know that's brass is more important than silverware, you know, to, to coin the phrase. Um, but I can't see why these clubs in these sort of who have missed Europa League, and let's face it, Europa League is a compensation for the clubs who don't get in the Champions League. It's almost like you know, let's have everybody in everybody in Europe playing everybody else. And I, I can't see how that works. I mean, whether it's just UEFA trying to sort of get more people inside their tent and therefore less people throwing bricks at their house, I don't know. But I mean, just I'd be interested to see what the other guys think. I mean, you know, who's going to be sort of paying pay-per-view to watch Bournemouth play and let Poznan? I don't see it. I don't see it. You're not working for UEFA's marketing department with, with these not sorts anymore, of comments. Exactly, that's what I'm <laughs> yeah, you've got no chance with that. Um, you know, you and I suppose, you know, Gary's Gary's doing a great job asking the questions tonight. You know, <laughs> what, are, you know what do you think? I don't know. I don't know if I would pay for that, but Bournemouth versus Conor McGregor, that would sound like <laughs> Conor McGregor. Yeah, that might work. No, I, I know what you mean, but I sort of, I sort of, I, I, I'm warm into the idea of this Europa League 2 Past too furious, whatever we're going to call it, because I think I think <laughs> it's something for the fans. I don't think the purpose of this is to generate money. I think this is something for the fans of clubs that are so mid-table that the way the 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 sports are being reserved for big leagues, there's there's a not a chance of many small medium-sized clubs and medium-sized leagues even getting into Europe at all, especially not to a group stage. Um, I, I'm, for example, I'm a fan of St Mirren in Scotland and never in my lifetime have they been in Europe. And they probably never would with just the, the status quo. But with this uh, Europa League 2, maybe if we have a particularly good season, which won't happen anytime soon, but <laughs> if we have a particularly good season and come sixth, seventh in the Scottish League, does that maybe get us a, a, a qualifier in this thing? And then you would have a first ever sort of a European experience and no matter if we drew a team from Kazakhstan or Iceland I'd be on that plane going to it because and I think there's fans of similar sized clubs around Europe that have no chance of getting any European experience but now with this with a few extra European places being available now they can maybe dream of something like that and I think it is hard to to study this when you look through the Premier League because you look at how how dismissive Premier League clubs can be of, of the Europa League um, and I'm sure it would be the same for Europa League too, because the goal is to just stay in the league and to and to try and do well in the Premier League. But for a lot of these um, other sort of different medium-sized leagues, the ones we kind of mentioned before, the sort of the Serbia, the Eredivisie, the Scottish League, for example, these kind of sized leagues, there's a lot of small teams in there that that could could quite comfortably cope with a, a couple of European games and not be worrying about relegation. And it would give their fans a day they'd never forget and a day that they probably couldn't achieve. Um, the way things are just now, so I'm, uh, I'm warming to it. I, I agree completely. I don't think it would make much money, but um, I'm not sure if that's really the point. Can I just jump in to? Uh, mm. You said something started that year, and you said um, you think UEFA aren't doing this for the money; they're doing it for the fans. 
I'll talk about the same organisation. I will talk about the same organisation because I don't know anything the UEFA have ever done that isn't for money, it's for the fans. Now, I mean, I think what you're saying is true and it would be great for, for clubs. And, you know, I, I, I apologise to all Bournemouth fans. I apologise to all Bournemouth fans. But, you know, I, and that would be great for clubs who... who, who Perhaps wouldn't have other chance to play European teams and 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 win a trophy, you know, Europa League two, and if you know that was, it, it's great. But the, the point I was making is not that it's not nice. I just can't see it happening, because who's going to put up the money for it? Because you can't you can't sell it. And I'm not. I, I applaud and acknowledge the the romance element of what you're saying, but in practical terms, I I just can't see it can, how it can work. Yeah, and it is going to happen. That's by all accounts, it is going to happen. But yeah, you're right. Maybe. Maybe there will be a problem in ten years where where it's not making yeah. enough money to be sustainable, and and it seems like it is going to go ahead. We are going to have it in a few years, but yeah, you maybe you're right. Maybe um, not that I can't see it happening, but that yeah, maybe I can't see it um, generating enough money to to sustain yes. itself. But I suppose by the time uh, we get to that decision, maybe by that point um, in ten years' time, we're already looking at a, a European Super League anyway. So yeah. maybe it's only going to have a few years to run. Yeah, I think you're right, and um, and UEFA tend to be like most organisations. FIFA is very similar. They only do do things for one of two reasons, and what is money? And there's politics and self-preservation. And I think it's probably the same. As I say, you know, it's if the more people that get inside their house, the less likely the people are to throw bricks at it. And I think you know, you, I mean, it's just it's just true. You know, if you can't if you can't beat them, get them. You don't want to join them. Get them to join. Have you ever, have you ever heard? Have you ever heard a big house party? I don't know if that's really true. <laughs> well, that's that's the UEFA for having a house party, but it's bringing on bottle. Um, Stephen, you know what? You know, please feel free have your say on on the brilliantly named Europa League Two. Um, you know, <laughs> and where you see it lying. Oh, I just think it's UEFA hedging the bets. You know, it, it's again. You can you can say there's a manoeuvrability there that if they do detach the elite to form a European Super League at some point, then you have two handy bite-sized European tournaments of a more traditional nature for those that are left behind. Um, it, it, there's almost a paper trail to a, you know call me a conspiracy theorist there, but you know I do I see I see I just see a bit of hedging of the bets and. Almost preparing the ground for what might come. I think you're right, Steve. I think you're absolutely right. I think. I mean, I like to. I like to always end on on a quick. We've got we've got six minutes roughly left. Um, I, I like to end on a on a really difficult question that's almost impossible to answer. But that's right. That's that's the fun part of the bit that I have. So again, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you all sort of the same question. Um, there's no right or wrong answer, so don't worry about it. Um, Gary, I'll save you till last this time. So you've got the best of both worlds here. Um, Stephen, I'm going to come to you first. Essentially, what I'm looking for is where is European club football? Where is the game going to be in a decade's time? Um, a decade from now? Yeah. Uh, a, a European Super League of some description whether that's, you know, an actual Super League with the elite detached from it. I don't think it had come to that, but I could certainly see an expanded uh, version of the Champions League where all the teams involved play, you know, a set amount of games, be that 18 or 20 games a season, uh, guaranteed. And, uh, you know, something that looks akin to the, the World Cup qualifiers for South American teams in a way. Um 
but hopefully still with a domestic league for them to play in. Maybe maybe diminished numbers, so you might find a 16 or a, an 18-team top league rather than 20. Um, no more League Cup in this country. Possibly a two-tier Premier League, for instance, just so the Premier League is protecting its own interests. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I see it going. Okay. Uh, Ewan, where, same question. Where, where do you see it going? Uh, well, I can see the Scottish Iron Brew Cup expanding <laughs> even further to include all of Wales, all of Ireland, even more English non-league, a couple of Dutch teams and Russia. No. Um, I, I have to agree with, with Stephen, I think. Um, I think we'll still have domestic leagues uh, in a similar looking way to what we have now and I think the Champions League will just be expanded a bit more to look more like a European Super League to keep the clubs happy for a while so basically I think we're going to have a Super Champions League and I'm going to hate the name of it (laughs) (laughs) I think you're probably right Uh, Gary what do you think I I think the guys are absolutely right Um, yeah I think an expanded Champions League or enhanced Champions League or whatever you want to call it is probably likely one thing that, that might an outside outside chance. There's there's a lot of this pre-season there where uh, clubs travel all over the world, and I can't remember to call this called the Champions Trophy or something like that now. Oh, don't get onto names. No, I mean it, you know, I mean they got to play games in America, in Australia, in in, in Asia, and so it's 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 not terribly different to the clubs that we've been talking about forming this Super League. And when you know we were saying earlier about you know travel might be difficult, and perhaps it won't be. You know, perhaps it won't be. Um, the World Cup started being difficult because countries couldn't travel from South America to Europe and vice versa. So perhaps that might be uh, the way that FIFA go with their Champions League, with their um, sorry, their World Club Cup, and some kind of hybrid of that. I don't know; it's just possible. But generally, I agree with what the guy said. I agree with what Steve said. I agree with what you and says. Like you can only see the the Champions League being more and more. Um, uh, a protected environment for major clubs and I think that's the way it's going and that might be the way that this European Super League actually happens Well, gents, like I say I, I, I do feel like I'm in a, a very privileged position with, with the role I play in these, I somehow seem to have managed to forge myself into this role and it's it's been brilliant listening to all three of you, such insight, knowledge, if anyone from UEFA is listening to this, I think you've just given them more headaches um, than, than um, answers and solutions. I think you've sacked most of the marketing department with regards names of tournaments and trophies. Um, but again, it, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. Time, unfortunately, is always you know is the enemy. Our, our hours up, um, and all I'd like to say really is obviously thank you for what for me has been a really enjoyable hour. Um, <laughs> Stephen, as always, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. No problem, shoot. A joy as always. Gary, I'm going to take some of those philosophical quotes and live my life by them tomorrow. Um, I do the same, so it's, it's only fair. Thank you. Thank you again for your, for uh, your time. I had a ball, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, and you and brilliant. Absolutely brilliant you know, to have you back on and, and sharing your thoughts and opinions. Um, absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, Stu. Pleasure. So I suppose all that's left for me to say now is to thank... Um, the listeners and ask again that you join us next time on the Lob Podcast with these football times. Thank you. Many thanks for joining us today on the Lob, a These Football Times production. For more of our content, check out our award-winning print magazine featuring some of the game's foremost writers, artists and photographers exploring areas of the game rarely covered in high-end print. For now, we look forward to you joining us again soon.